0: part two chapter twenty one of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain twenty one what daisy did she flirted with every man on the ship who would flirt with her even allan brown was not insensible to her charms during the last few months he had developed amazingly and had put on all the airs of a first-class dandy he parted his hair in the middle carried an eyeglass and a cane wore a long overcoat and pants so tight that it was a matter of speculation with his friends how he ever got into them or being in how he ever got out his last purchase in london had been a pair of pointed shoes which were just coming into vogue as was the species of the male gender called dudes a doodle i call em and think em too shallow for anything was mrs rossiter brown's comment and she looked a little askance at her son wondering how he would impress the rich villians at home and especially what miss boughton would think of him i wouldn't make a Tarnelle fool of myself if it was the fashion she said to him when the pointed toes appeared but allen had his own ideas and encouraged by daisy who though wonderfully amused at his appearance told him he was tout a fait parisien he followed his own inclinations and arrayed in all his finery made himself the laughing-stock of the passengers but he did not care so long as daisy smiled upon him and allowed him to attend her he walked with her on deck and brought her chair for her and her shawl and rug and wrapped her feet carefully and held the umbrella over her head to screen her from the wind and hovered over her constantly leaving his mother to stagger or rather crawl up the stairs as best she could with her rug and shawl and waterproof and saw her umbrella turned inside out and carried out to sea without offering her any assistance even when as she expressed it she was sick enough to die augusta did not need his attentions for lord hardy devoted himself to her and nothing which daisy could do availed to lure him from her side once when allan said to her that hardy seemed pretty hard hit with gus her lip curled scornfully but she dared not express her real feelings and say how little the irish lord cared for the girl herself she must not offend the rossiter browns and she smiled sweetly upon her rival and called her gussie dear and flattered mrs brown and made eyes at mr brown and asked him to bet for her in the smoking-room where he spent most of his time with a set of men who were always there smoking drinking joking and betting upon the daily speed of the ship or any other trivial thing to pass away the time so while his son flirted with the fair lady on deck mr brown bet for her in the smoking-room with so good success that when the losses and gains were footed up she found herself richer by one hundred and fifty dollars than when she left liverpool mrs brown did not believe in betting it was as bad as gambling she said aunt daisy admitted it but said with tears in her eyes that it would do so much good to bessie and her sick husband to whom she should send every farthing as soon as she reached new york the voyage had been unusually long but this was their last day out new york was in sight and in her most becoming attire daisy stood upon the deck looking eagerly at the to her new world and wholly unconscious of the shock awaiting her on the shore which they were slowly nearing at last the ship reached the dock the plank was thrown out and a throng of passengers crowded the gangway is mrs archibald mcpherson on board was shouted through the ship and in a flutter of expectation daisy went forward announcing herself as the lady in question a telegram has been waiting for you more than a week was the response as the officer placed in her hand the yellow missive whose purport he knew a message for me where could it have come from i wonder daisy said as without a suspicion of the truth she broke the seal and read "Stonely, june your husband died this morning quietly and peacefully bessie well but very tired gray gerald oh archie my husband daisy cried bitterly as she sank down into a chair and covered her face with her hands while over her for a moment there swept a great wave of regret for the man she had loved in the days when she was innocent and young and not the hard selfish woman of the world that she was now archie is dead dead she moaned as the rossiter browns gathered around her together with lord hardy who took the telegram from her and read it aloud while he too experienced a throb of pain for the man he had known so long and esteemed so highly even while he despised him for his weakness in suffering his wife to lead the life she had how vividly it all came back to him the day when he first saw archibald mcpherson the fair english boy for he was scarcely more than that with his young girl wife so innocent and lovely then and she was lovely still and he pitied her for he believed her grief genuine mingled as it must be with remorse for the past and laying his hand on her bowed head he said to her kindly i am very sorry for you and if i can do anything for you do not hesitate to command me alas for poor weak human nature when perverted from its better side the sound of teddy's voice so different from what it had been during the voyage awoke a throb in daisy's heart which she would not like to have confessed to those around her she was free now and who knew that she might not one day be mistress of the handsome place in ireland lord hardy's home if only she played her cards well surely that low-born yankee girl augusta brown could never be her rival even if she had money such was the thought that flashed like lightning through daisy's mind as she felt the touch of lord hardy's hand and heard his sympathetic voice her first impulse when she read the telegram had been that she must go back to bessie in the first ship which sailed but now her decision was reversed archie was dead and buried she could do no good to him and she might as well stay a little while especially as she knew lord hardy had accepted mrs brown's invitation to spend a few days with them at the ridge house it would never do to abandon the field to augusta she reflected but her tears flowed just as fast and to do her justice there was a sense of bitter pain in her heart as she sat with her head bowed down while the browns and lord hardy stood around trying to comfort her mrs brown offered her her volatile and called her my poor dear augusta put her arms around her neck Allan fanned her gently and lord hardy asked what he could do while mr brown said it was plaguey hard on her but somebody must go and see to them confounded custom-house chaps or they would have every dud out of the ten trunks and there'd be a pretty how-d'ye-do thus reminded of what had been a terror to her all the voyage mrs brown suggested that daisy should leave the ship and sit on the wharf with gusty to attend to her while she helped her husband pull through it was in vain that mr brown protested against any help telling his better half to mind her business and saying that she'd only upset everything with her fussiness and red face but mrs brown would not listen she was not going to let him lie she had given him numerous lectures on that point during the voyage and had always ended them with the assertion that she wouldn't pay duty either just what she meant to do she did not know but she went with her husband to the field of combat and was soon hotly engaged with three officers who seeing her nervousness and hearing her excited voice scented mischief of course and notwithstanding that she declared she was mrs rossiter brown of ridgeville a church member in good standing and asked if they thought she would do a thing she believed was wrong they answered her that her idea of wrong and theirs might not agree and they went to the bottom of her largest trunk and found the silk dress she had bought for her friend mrs Bolton who had told her to get one worth four dollars a yard but not to give over two and on no account pay duty i trust to your yankee wit to get it through mrs Boughton had written citing several instances where similar things had been done and no lies told either and it was this particular dress at the very bottom of her trunk for which mrs brown felt the most anxiety but the remorseless officers found it and found a plush table-spread she had bought in paris and a cushion to match and as they held them up they facetiously asked her to what church she belonged she told them none of their business and as her principles and patience were both at a low ebb by this time and the meaning of rendering to caesar the things which were caesar's did not seem at all clear to her she whispered fiercely to her husband ike you fool why don't you fee em i can't have em riddlin all them t'other trunks with my sealskin and gusty's fur-lined cloak and Allan's new overcoat and that clock and mosaic table be em high too and do it quick there's that wretch now liftin out a tray to those who have witnessed similar scenes it is needless to say that by some magic the search was stopped and neither mrs brown's sealskin nor augusta's fur-lined cloak nor allan's overcoat were molested and the ten trunks were chalked and deposited in the express wagons and the rossiter browns with lord hardy and daisy were driven to the windsor meantime daisy had cried a good deal and leaned her head against augusta and once against lord hardy's arm and sobbed oh teddy you knew my archie and know just how good and patient he was and how lonely i shall be without him oh what shall i do teddy did not suggest anything she could do though he naturally thought she would go home at once and mrs brown thought so too when she had recovered from her encounter with the custom-house officers and could think of anything but she would not be the first to suggest it outright she merely said it was a pity that mrs mcpherson could not see anything of america except new york which was much like any great city yes daisy sobbed such a pity and i had anticipated so much oh mrs brown i do want to do right and you must advise me now that i am here and poor dear archie is dead and buried and i can do him no good by going back at once do you think it would look very bad and heartless in me if i stay a little while just long enough to see your lovely country home and rest i am so tired and as alan happened to be nearest to her she leaned her head against him and cried aloud before mrs brown could reply augusta asked what of bessie will she not be very lonely without you nasty cat she is as jealous as she can be and i will stay to spite her daisy thought but she said oh yes i ought to go home to bessie though she would bid me stay now that i am here she is so unselfish and i shall never come again her cousin's family in london will take her directly home so she will not be alone poor bessie daisy knew that the london family would not take bessie to their home but it answered her purpose to say so and seemed some excuse for her remaining as she finally decided to do greatly to allan's delight and somewhat to mrs brown's surprise yet the glamour of daisy's beauty and style and position was over her still and she was not sorry to show her off to the people in the hotel and anticipated in no small degree what would be said by her friends at home when she showed them a live lord and an english lady like daisy she was going to ridgeville in a day or two but daisy's morning must first be bought and in the excitement of shopping and trying on dresses and bonnets and deciding which shape was the most becoming daisy came near forgetting poor dear dead archie of whom she talked so pathetically when she spoke of him at all don't i beg of you think that i ever for a moment forget my loss she said to mrs brown when she had with a hand-glass studied the hang of her crape veil for at least fifteen minutes it hurts me to speak of him but there is a moan in my heart for him all the time and mrs brown believed her and thought she was bearing it bravely and paid all the bills and thought her the most beautiful creature in her weeds that she had ever seen and truly she was a lovely little widow with just enough pallor in her face to be interesting and show that her sorrow had robbed her of some of her roses or as lord hardy suspected that she had purposely omitted the roses when making her toilet for the sake of effect lord hardy knew the lady perfectly and knew there was not a real thing about her except indeed her hair which was wavy and abundant still and of which she was very proud often allowing it to fall on her neck and always arranging it in the most negligent and girlish manner once her complexion had been her own but the life she had led was not conducive to bloom and much of her bright colour and the pearly tint of her skin was now the work of art so skilfully done however that few could detect it mrs brown did not she never suspected anything and took daisy for what she seemed and was glad allen was so fond of her as in her society he was safe she said and could not help getting kind of refined and cultivated up daisy wrote to bessie telling her how prostrated with grief she was and that she would have taken the first ship home if the rossiter browns had not insisted that she should stay and see a little of america but it will not be for long she wrote i shall soon return and i send you thirty pounds absolutely my own this will last till i am with you and then we will contrive together how to live respectably and happily the day after the letter was sent the brown party started for ridgeville reaching the allington station about three in the afternoon of a lovely july day the news of their coming had preceded them and the ridge house which was a large imposing mansion had for days been the scene of much bustle and excitement for it was known that an irish lord was to accompany the family and an english lady who if not titled was connected with some of the best families in england there was a great deal of talk and gossip among the neighbours who had known the rossiter browns without an e or a hyphen when he was simply ike and she was angeline miss lucy Gray's hired girl but they were rich people now they owned the finest house in ridgeville and every room was covered with what mrs brown called a mocha carpet and they kept negroes instead of white servants and the barn was full of boxes of all sizes which had arrived from time to time bearing foreign marks upon them thus impressing the lower class with a species of awe as they thought how far they had come and how much they had probably cost then the family had travelled and consorted with nobility and seen the queen and the pope and in consequence of all this there was quite a crowd of people at the station when the new york express stopped then and deposited upon the platform twelve trunks three hat-boxes an english terrier a dongola cat with innumerable satchels and portmanteaus and seven people mr and mrs rossiter brown augusta brown Allan brown daisy mcpherson a french maid and lord hardy he plainly dressed in a grey suit which did not fit him at all but with a decidedly aristocratic look upon his face as he glanced curiously at the crowd gathering around the browns and greeting them with noisy demonstrations daisy in deep black with her veil thrown back from her lovely face and a gleam of ridicule and contempt in her blue eyes as they flashed upon lord hardy as if for sympathy the french maid in white apron and cap tired homesick and bewildered with mrs brown's repeated calls to know if she was sure she had all the bags and shawls and fans and umbrellas and the shrill voice of a little boy who shouted to her as the train moved off i say hain't you left your bonnet in the cars tain't on your head allen stunning in his long light overcoat tight pants pointed shoes cane and eyeglasses which he found very necessary as he pointed out his luggage and in reply to the baggage-master's hearty how are you my boy drawled out quite well thanks but awful tired you know augusta in a jersey jacket with gloves buttoned to her elbows and an immense hat with two feathers on the back mr brown in a long ulster and soft hat with gloves which his wife made him wear and mrs brown in a paris dress fearfully and wonderfully made and a poke bonnet so long and so poky that to see her face was like looking down a narrow lane no wonder the plain people of ridgeville to whom poke bonnets and jersey jackets and long gloves and pointed toes were then new, were startled and a little abashed at so much foreign style especially as it was accompanied by nobility in the person of lord hardy at him the people stared curiously deciding that he was not much to look at if he was a lord and wondering if he was after augusta her mother will bust if he is she has about as much as she can do to keep herself together now i wonder if she has forgot that she was once a hired girl and worked like the rest of us was whispered by some of the envious ones but this was before they had received mrs brown's greeting which was just as cordial as of old and her voice was just as loud and hearty she didn't mean to be stuck up because she'd been abroad she was a democrat to her backbone she had frequently asserted and she carried out her principles and shook hands with everybody and kissed a great many and thanked them for coming to meet her and then with her husband augusta and lord hardy entered her handsome carriage and was driven toward home the french maid went in the omnibus while allan drove daisy himself in the pony phaeton not a little proud of the honor and the attention he was attracting as he took his seat beside the beautiful woman whose face had never looked fairer or sweeter than it did under the widow's bonnet what a lovely pony is he gentle and do you think i might venture to drive him Daisy asked with a pretty affectation of girlishness as they left the station, and Allan instantly put the reins in her hands and, leaning languidly back, watched her admiringly with a strange thrill of something undefinable in his heart. Do we pass Miss mcpherson's house? Daisy asked, and he replied, "Yes, at a little distance, and we can go very near to it by taking the road across the common and He indicated the direction that is the place with all those cherry trees he continued pointing toward the unpretentious house where miss betsy mcpherson had lived for so many years and where she now sat upon the piazza with hannah gerald at her side miss betsy had been in boston for two weeks and had only returned home that morning finding Bessie's letter of thanks written so long ago and not forwarded to her until one of the firm in london heard of archie's death this letter she had read with a great feeling of pity for and yearning toward the young girl who had written it i wish i had sent her more and i will by and by she thought never dreaming that archie was dead or that his wife was so near she had not even heard of the arrival in new york of the browns and was talking with hannah Gerald, who had come over to see her when the carriage containing mr and mrs brown augusta and lord hardy came into view across the common why that's the browns she exclaimed are they home and who is that tow-headed chap with them not allen surely hannah explained that the browns were expected that afternoon and that an irish lord was coming with them and that half ridgeville had gone to the station to meet them irish fiddlesticks after augusta's money of course miss betsy returned with a snort but whatever else she might have said was cut short by the appearance of the phaeton with allan and daisy in it i wonder who she is i hope she stares well seems to me i have seen her before miss betsy said adding as daisy half inclined her head and smiled upon her who can she be somebody they have picked up to make a splurge with a widow at any rate oh yes i remember now to have heard from the cook at ridge house that an english lady was to accompany the family home and-yes her name was MacPherson too lady MacPherson. the cook called her this is she no doubt lady MacPherson. miss betsy repeated there is no lady mcpherson except my brother's wife lady jane and she is almost as dried up and yellow by this time as i am while this lady is young and good gracious it is she the jezebel lady Macpherson, indeed and miss betsy sprang to her feet so energetically as to startle her visitor who had no idea what she meant the face seen on the terrace at aberystwyth years ago had come back to miss betsy and she felt sure that she had just seen it again smiling upon allan brown as it had then smiled upon lord hardy but why in widow's weeds was archie dead she asked herself as she resumed her seat and tried to seem natural hannah saw that something ailed her but she was too well-bred to ask any questions and soon took her leave alone with her thoughts miss betsy fell to soliloquizing that letter was written long ago archie may be dead and this painted gambler has gulled the browns and come to america as their guest with the snipper-snapper of a hardy i must find out if archie is dead and what has become of the girl after she had had her tea miss betsy ordered her old white horse and old fashioned buggy to be brought round and started for a drive taking the ridgeville road and passing the house of the browns where the family were assembled upon the wide piazza enjoying the evening breeze at a glance she singled out daisy who was reclining gracefully in an armchair with a pond lily at her throat relieving the blackness of her dress and allen brown leaning over and evidently talking to her as miss mcpherson drove very slowly and looked earnestly toward the house which was at a little distance from the road mrs brown who was watching her ventured down the walk bowing half hesitatingly for she had never been on terms of intimacy with miss betsy of whom she stood a little in awe raining up old whitey the lady stopped and waited until mrs brown came to her then extending her hand she said you are welcome home again i did not know you had come until i saw your carriage go by and the phaetons with allan and a lady in it and she glanced toward daisy who having heard from allan that the stiff queer-looking woman in the buggy was her aunt had arisen to her feet for the purpose of getting a better view of her yes mrs brown began we got home to-day and a more tuckered-out lot you never saw home is home if it's ever so homely i tell em. by the way i'm glad you happened this way I was going to send you word I brought home with me one of your relations, Mrs. Archibald Macpherson, your nephew's wife, and I hope you'll call and see her. She is very nice and so pretty too. That's her in black. Uh hum and Miss Betsy's thin lips were firmly compressed. Uh hum Yes, Mrs. Archibald Macpherson. Why is she in black? then followed the story of the telegram received on the celtic and the terrible shock it was to daisy who was for a time wholly overcome seems pretty brisk now miss Betsy said glancing sharply toward the airy figure now walking up and down the piazza with allan at its side why didn't she go home at once to her daughter she did talk of it mrs brown replied uneasily for she detected disapprobation of her guest in miss mcpherson's tone i think she would have went but it seemed a pity not to see a little of america first she will not stay long and i hope you'll call soon i believe you've never been in my new house no i have not who may i ask is that tow-headed man with his hair parted in the middle oh excuse me and mrs brown brightened at once that is lord hardy we met him in nice he is going west and we persuaded him to stop here first he is very nice and not at all stuck up yes an irishman i've seen him before if he is poor my advice is look out for augusta and anyway have a care for your boy good-night it's growing late get up whitey and with a jerk at the reins the old lady drove on while mrs brown rather crestfallen and disappointed went slowly back to the house wondering why she was to have a care for her boy her allen still walking up and down at daisy's side and talking eagerly to her i suppose i am meaner than dirt but i cannot help it i will not notice that woman no not a woman but a gambler an adventuress a flirt who if she cannot capture that irishman will try her luck with allan i hate her but i pity the girl and i'll send her a hundred pounds at once miss betsy soliloquized and she went home through the gathering twilight and before she slept she wrote to her bankers in london bidding them forward to Bessie's address another hundred pounds and charge it to her account the next morning miss betsy was sitting in her hop-vine-covered porch shelling peas for her early dinner and thinking of archie and the painted jezebel as she designated daisy when a shadow fell upon the floor and looking up she saw the subject of her thoughts standing before her with her yellow hair arranged low in her neck and a round black hat set coquettishly upon her head miss betsy did not manifest the least surprise but adjusting her spectacles from her forehead to her eyes looked up inquiringly at her visitor who seating herself upon the threshold of the door took off her hat and in the silvery tones she could assume so well said you must excuse me dear auntie i could not wait for you to call i wanted to see you so badly and as allan brown was going to the post-office i rode down with him i am daisy archie's wife or widow for archie is dead you know She said this very sadly and low, and there were great tears in the blue eyes, lifted timidly and appealingly to the little sharp bead-like eyes confronting her so steadily through the spectacles. How very lovely and youthful-looking she was as she sat there in the doorway, and Miss Betsy acknowledged the youth and the loveliness, but did not unbend one whit. Ahem, she began, and the tone was not very reassuring. "'I knew you were here.' mrs brown told me and i saw you there with Allen yesterday i saw you years ago on the terrace at abbertswith and remembered you well was archie very sick when you left him yes no daisy said stammeringly that is he had been sick a long time but i did not think him so bad or i should never have left him oh auntie it almost killed me when i heard he was dead and there is a moan for him in my heart all the time she adopted this form of speech because it had sounded prettily to herself when she said it to mrs brown who had believed in the moan but miss betsy did not "Mm mm-hmm, she said how much time have you spent with archie the last ten years or so not as much as i wish i had now i was obliged to be away from him daisy replied and the spinster continued why my health was poor and i was so much better out of england And so, when people invited me, I went with them. It saved expense at home, and we are so poor. Oh, you cannot know how poor. And Daisy clasped her hands together despairingly as she gazed up at the stern face above her, which did not relax in its sternness, but remained so hard and stony that Daisy burst out impetuously. Oh, auntie, why are you so cold to me? Why do you hate me so? I have never harmed you. I want you for my friend.' mine and bessie's and we need a friend so much in our loneliness and poverty bessie is the sweetest truest girl you ever knew for a moment miss betsy's hands moved rapidly among the pea-pods then removing her spectacles and wiping them with the corner of her apron she began i mean to treat everybody civilly in my own house but if i say anything i must tell the naked truth i believe bessie is a true girl as you say but i have my doubts of you i have heard much of your career have talked with those who have seen you in that hell at monte carlo bandying jests with young profligates and bleary-eyed old men more dangerous than the younger ones because better skilled in evil i saw you myself on the terrace at Abbotswith, flirting as no married woman should flirt with that whiffet lord hardy who it seems is here with you and whom perhaps you think to capture now that you are free but let me tell you that men seldom pick up and wear a soiled garment particularly when they have helped to soil it lord hardy will never marry you and my advice is that you go home as you ought to have done at once go back to your child and be a mother to her but as you hope for heaven never try to drag her down where you are you talk of poverty you do not show it those diamonds in your ears never cost a small sum nor that solitaire upon your finger they were given to me daisy sobbed as she rose to her feet and put on her hat preparatory to leaving while miss betsy continued given to you the more shame for you to take them better throw them away than wear them as a badge of degradation yes throw them away or send them back whence they came wash that paint off your face get rid of that made-up smirk around your mouth remember that you are going on toward 40 oh daisy groaned i am not quite thirty-six well thirty-six then the spinster rejoined there's a wide difference between thirty-six and sixteen you are a widow you have a grown-up daughter you are no longer young though you are good-looking enough but good looks will not support you honestly go home and go to work if it is only to be a barmaid at the george hotel and when i see you have reformed i do not say i will not do something for you but just so long as you go round sponging your living and making eyes at men-and boys too for that matter not a penny of my money shall you ever touch i've said my say and there comes the boy Allen for you good morning she arose to take her peas to the kitchen the conference was ended, and with a flushed face and wet eyes, Daisy went out to the phaeton, into which Allen handed her very carefully, and then took his seat beside her. He noticed her agitation, but did not guess its cause until she said, with a little gasping sob, I was never so insulted in my life as by that horrid old woman. Had I been the vilest creature in the world, she could not have talked worse to me. She said I was living upon your people. sponging, she called it that i was after lord hardy and-and oh allan even you-the boy she called you and she bade me go home and hire out as barmaid at the george hotel in bangor the wretch boy indeed allan said bristling with indignation at this fling at his youth but feeling a strange stir in his young blood at the thought of this fair creature being after him arrived at the ridge house daisy went directly to her room and had the headache all day and gave mrs brown a most exaggerated account of her interview with her aunt but omitted the part pertaining to lord hardy and allen the latter of whom hovered disconsolately near the door of her room and sent her messages and a bouquet and was radiant with delight when after tea-time she was so far restored as to be able to join the family upon the piazza it was allen who brought a pillow for her and a footstool and asked if she was in a draught and when she said she was moved her chair at her request nearer to lord hardy who scarcely looked at her and did not manifest the slightest interest in her headache or in her nothing which daisy could do was of any avail to attract him to her and she tried every wile and art upon him during the next few days but to no purpose at last when she had been at the ridge house a week and she had an opportunity of seeing him alone she said in a half playful half complaining voice what is it teddy what has come between us that you are so cold to me has the fair gusty as her mother calls her driven from your mind all thoughts of your old friend you used to care for me teddy in the good old days when we were all so happy together don't you like me a little now and i so lonely and sad and all the more so that i have to keep up and smile before these people who kind as they are bore me with their vulgarities say teddy are you angry with me as she talked daisy had put her hand on that of lord hardy who once would have thrilled at its touch but who now shrank from it as something poisonous he knew the woman so thoroughly that nothing she could do or say would in the least affect him now and when she asked if he were angry with her he replied not angry no but mrs mcpherson oh teddy now i know you hate me when you call me mrs mcpherson daisy sobbed and he continued well daisy then if that suits you better i am not angry but you must know that we can never again be to each other what we were in the days when i was foolish enough to follow where you led even to my ruin all that is past and i will not reproach you more but daisy i must speak one word of warning i owe so much to these kind people whose vulgarities bore you but do not prevent you from accepting their hospitality i am not blind to what you are doing and what am i doing daisy asked and he replied making a fool of a boy for mercenary purposes of your own i have seen it ever since we left liverpool and i tell you i will not allow it and if you persist in luring allan to your side on all occasions and throw over him the glamour of your charms the family shall know all i know of your past life even if it compromises me with you they think you pure and good what would they say if they knew you to be a professional gambler An adventurous about whom men jest and smile derisively even while they flatter and admire you in a certain way bad in the common acceptation of the word you may not be but your womanhood is certainly soiled and you are not a fit associate for a young susceptible man or for an innocent girl if you were a true woman you would have gone home at once to your daughter who rumour says is as sweet and lovely as an angel go back now to her and by fulfilling the duties of a mother try to retrieve the past it is not impossible i do not mean to be harsh and hardly know why i have said all this to you except it were to save allan brown who is each day becoming more and more in love with you in love with me a woman old enough to be his mother absurd daisy exclaimed adding scornfully thanks for your lecture which shall not be lost on me i have no wish to prolong my stay in this stupid place and only wish i had never come here and since my presence is so distasteful to you i will go at once and leave you to prosecute your suit with the fair augusta wishing you joy with your yankee bride and her refined family shall you invite them to your home in ireland if so may i be there to see adieu and with a mocking curtsey, she left the room and going to her chamber wrote to bessie that she was coming home immediately daisy had lost her game and she knew it she had nothing to expect from miss MacPherson, nothing from lord hardy and as her deep mourning prevented mrs brown from giving the party she had talked about so much she might be better in europe she thought and accordingly she acquainted her hostess with her decision there was a faint protest on the part of mrs brown but only a faint one for she was beginning to be a little afraid of her fair visitor whom augusta disliked thoroughly only allan was sorry for the wily woman had stirred his boyish heart to its very depths and when at last he said good-bye to her and stood until the train which bore her away was out of sight he felt perhaps as keen a pang of regret as a young man of twenty-two ever felt for a woman many years his senior mr brown accompanied her to new york and saw her on board the ship and on his return home reported that he had left her in the cabin a smellin' of and admirin' a basket of flowers most as big as herself which she said a very dear friend had ordered sent to her with his love she didn't say who twas, he continued and i didn't ask her but i thought fool and his money soon parted for they'd smell awful in a day or two and be flung into the sea she give me one of the posies for allan i guess it's pretty well jammed for i chucked it into my vest pocket here it is and he handed a faded rosebud to allen whose face was very red and whose eyes as they met those of lord hardy betrayed the fact that he was the very dear friend who had ordered the flowers as his farewell to daisy End of chapter twenty one end of part two